amen to that. Good to see you this morning, Gateway family. Hope you are all doing well. Find James chapter 1 in your copy of God's Word. James chapter 1. Now, as we continue in James 1 this morning, I want to ask you a question. The question is, have you ever said something that you regretted? Yeah, the chuckles, I think, indicate so. Yes, I know I have. Perhaps we have said things with hasty speech that we didn't think about it, and we later regretted that we had said that. Perhaps the speech we regret was some type of anger outburst. Because the reality is all of us know the pain of what our own words have caused to others. The broken friendships that have resulted, the hurt family members, the way we've undermined our witness before non-believers, the distrust we've created, the way we've divided. We've seen the power of our words. But if that's not painful enough, we quickly realize that those words indicate what was already in our heart. Just see up on the screen, Luke chapter 6, verse 45. Painful words, but reality that Jesus gives to us. He says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. Notice this, for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Because that hurts when we realize and we think about those painful words we've said and those hasty words we've said and those angry words we've said and we realize they've just come from what's on the inside of us. And because though that truth is painful, that truth is also very helpful for us because we quickly realize that the hope for change is not in us. Our heart is the problem. Our heart is not the answer on all of this. And James is going to show us this truth this morning about the danger of our speech, but he's also going to show us that there is hope in this and the hope is not found within us. Now, before we get to our text for this morning, I want us to receive what we saw last week because today's verses flow out of what we saw last week. So look back up one verse to James chapter 1, verse 18, just to get the context of what comes today. In James 1, 18, James writes, Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Just to remind us, last week we saw that God of his own will, of his own sovereign plan, chose to save us. He did what he did not have to do, and he chose to rescue us from our sins, to send the word of truth, the gospel to us, to open our eyes to it, and to transform us. And we saw last week that knowing God is not just intellectual, but it changes us, it transforms us, it's receiving a radical transformation from above. And James began to show us what that transformation looked like. Last week he showed us that as we're transformed because of the gospel, it leads us to want to share it with others. But he's not done. And what comes this morning, starting in verse 19, is how, if we are in Christ, how it changes our speech. How it's going to transform us in the way we talk. So if you look at verses 19 to 21 this morning, be simply looking for what is God's standard for our speech. If we are children of God, if he has saved us, if by his own will he has brought us forth, What then does he want our speech to look like in light of that? And then second of all, what is our hope for getting there? Because if we all chuckle when we think about words we've regretted, friends, we know it's hard. So what is the hope? So what's God's standard and what is the hope? Let's look at James chapter 1, verses 19 to 21. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? We'll try to tackle three verses this morning. James chapter 1, starting in verse 19. The words will be on the screen for you, and I'm reading out the English Standard Version. Know this, my beloved brothers... Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word that is living and active. We're thankful that you've given us your word. God, I pray this morning that your word would come alive to us, that your Holy Spirit would fill each one of us. And Lord, even as we're a little bit weary from the time change last night, a little bit more sleepy than normal, I pray that you would just give us strength and focus to understand your word this morning. It would be transformative in each of our lives individually and collectively as a church family. And we ask it in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. Here's what I want you to see this morning from this text is simply this. God calls us to rid our lives of anger and hasty speech through the power of the gospel. God calls us to rid our lives of anger and hasty speech through the power of the gospel. Friends, if we are followers of Christ, His knowing Him should change all of our life and it should change how we speak. And particularly, it should change that we are quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger. For followers of Christ, there should be a change in us, a ridding of our lives of these particular aspects of sinful speech. But friends, the reality is we cannot do that on our own. I cannot just will tomorrow to try harder to get rid of hasty speech and it happened. You cannot just will to try harder tomorrow to get rid of angry speech and it just happened. We cannot on our own change ourselves, so we need grace. And the grace comes through the power of the gospel. Not just for initial salvation, but every day to transform us. So I want to look at this about how God calls us to rid our lives of anger and hasty speech and how there's hope for that in the gospel. Now let's start and take that apart in this text this morning. First of all, I realize that this is a call to believers. If you are in Christ, this is a call to you and to me. Go back to verse 19. He says, know this, my beloved brothers. Notice how James addresses them. He's speaking to fellow Christians. The word brothers here includes brothers and sisters. It means followers of Christ. And he calls them beloved. These are people who he loves, but these are people who are loved by God. And James is speaking to those in the church family, to people who are followers of Christ. And that means there's a reality check here for us. That means the believers then and now struggle with their speech. He's writing them to address this area that these beloved brothers are struggling with. Apparently in these early churches scattered across that Mediterranean region, there was problems with people being quick to speak and slow to listen. Problems with them becoming angry with one another. And in his love for them, and in God's love for us as well, recording this for us, God doesn't want to leave us where we are. He wants to change us and grow us. And he particularly calls us as his followers to seek to rid our lives of our old sinful practices. Look down in verse 21 here. Notice what he says. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. He tells us to put away, to take off, to get rid of something from our lives. And in particular, this word here for put away is the same word we saw back in Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. Do you remember when we said Ephesians last year? We were told to put off. Your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. This is an image of taking off. Like if your clothes get dirty, you take off the old clothes and put on the new clothes that are not dirty. That put off is the same word that comes back to here in verse 21 that we are to put away. We're to take off from our lives all filthiness, to change our old ways. And so look back at verse 21. He says to put away, to take off, to get rid from our lives all filthiness, all sin in our lives. He goes on to call it in rampant wickedness. Rampant means excessive and abundant. Remember, he's writing to beloved brothers and sisters and says, get rid from your life of the rampant, the excessive wickedness that is still in your life. Because we often want to know what God's will is, and God's will for us is to be transformed because of the gospel, to have the filthiness and rampant wickedness removed from our life. Now, what is one of the types of rampant wickedness that James is thinking about? Well, it's something that we often try to excuse and justify that's our hasty speech and our anger. Don't miss the connection here. He's referring to angry speech and hasty speech here as filthiness and rampant wickedness. My friends, if your heart is like my heart, there are so many ways to justify things we've said that somehow we should know are wrong and filthy and wicked, but we excuse them in so many fronts. Look at how God describes us. Look at the standard that we should follow here. Go back to verse number 19 here. And in the context of him describing filthiness and rampant wickedness, look at what we should be like 
instead. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. So we're to be slow to speak. That means we're to put off hasty speech. What do I mean by hasty speech? That is speech that we, that we don't think about, basically. Speech that just comes out so quickly. And where it says here to be slow to speak, it does not mean not to speak. We're told in the scriptures that we're to speak the truth to one another. But the word slow here means with hesitation or delay. So we're told here that we are to, be, we're to speak with hesitation. We're to speak with delay. Not to not speak, but we're to speak with delay. We're to think about what we say before we say it. So that what comes out is not filthiness and wickedness. We need to think before we talk. And this is nothing new. Remember, he's writing to Jewish Christians. People will be very familiar with the Old Testament. And what he's saying here is an idea that they should be very familiar with from the Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 20. Look at how the Old Testament describes the same idea. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? Catch this. There is more hope for a fool than for him. Pretty strong, isn't it? Do you see a man who's hasty, who's quick to speak? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Friends, hasty words are sinful. They're a tool of the enemy that destroy and tear down. And yet we're so quick to excuse it in our lives. And, oh, I can't help it. I just had to say it or I had to express myself. When the scriptures warn us about speaking hastily. The reality is Proverbs 13.3 tells us what we should be like instead. In Proverbs 13.3 we're told whoever guards his mouth, it's an image of being slow to speak, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. That's what James is telling us. Go back to verse 19. He says to be quick to hear and slow to speak. He's warning us against the dangers of hasty speech in our lives and he's telling us to rid ourselves of that type of filthiness and wickedness. There's a second sinful type of speech he wants us to put off here, and that's anger as well. Notice the very next phrase he tells us to be slow to anger. Now, we talked about this in Ephesians. If you were with us a year ago, we did Ephesians. You've heard this before, but this is so important because I want to make sure we all catch this. In our culture today, anger is so misunderstood. When he says to put off anger, we need to understand what he means by anger. In our culture, we describe anger so often as like a fuse that has been lit. We describe anger in terms of like pressure that has to be released. I have to blow off some steam. We have all these kind of cool metaphors in our culture to describe anger. And the reason we're drawn to those is because those make us not responsible. If anger is a force inside me, I just have to vent. I'm not responsible. I've got to get it out. If anger is a fuse, well, I can't control that fuse. If anger is steam I've got to blow off, then I'm not responsible. We love those images because it makes us not morally responsible for our anger. I'm going to give you a different definition of anger instead, and we'll have it up on the screen for you. Anger is simply this. Anger is a moral choice I make to a situation I do not like. Again, we saw this when we saw Ephesians, but this is so important. This will transform how we relate to one another if we can get our minds around this. Anger is a moral choice I make to a situation I do not like. It is a moral. I'm judging something right or wrong. It is a choice. That means by God's grace, I can choose differently. I don't have to give expression to that thought, that feeling. It's in response to a situation. Anger is situational. There's some situation we find ourselves in and we don't like it. We judge it to be wrong. We judge it to be a problem. We judge it to be inferior. Therefore, we have a response to it. Usually, it's some type of lashing out in our words or in our actions. And one thing that helped me understand anger years ago, it comes from a guy named David Pallison. We have some of his books on anger in the Resource Center. He says, understand that anger happens in three phases, in three steps. And this will help us understand how to put it off. Anger begins with a perceived wrong, a perceived problem, a perceived inconvenience. So anger, step one, is we perceive something to be wrong or an inconvenience. 
Now, the example that comes to my mind is if you're driving on Interstate 85 and they're doing construction at 5 o'clock during rush hour. There's a perceived situation that you do not like. So step one is you think this is not good. Step two is you give an opinion of disapproval. You give an opinion of disapproval. So go back to driving on Interstate 85 and it comes to a total stop before you get to East Chase. It's 5 o'clock because they're doing construction everywhere at that point. You have some opinion of disapproval. For me, I'd be sitting there going, what idiot schedule construction workers at 5 o'clock when it's already full? Anyway, we give some type of disapproval. So step one, you perceive a wrong. Step two, you give an opinion of disapproval. Step three, you are then moved to action. So if you're the car on the interstate, you might start honking, you might start banging on the dashboard, you might throw up your hands in frustration, whatever. You might write a letter to the director, you might post a rant on social media while you're sitting still on the interstate. You get the idea. There's some expression of that because you perceived a wrong, you gave a disapproval, and it moved you to action. And the reality is as we think about anger in the Scripture, anger can take many forms. Anger can be our words of anger. Anger can be violent attacks against other people. But anger can be passive. It can be cranky. It can be irritable. It can be the cold shoulder to people. It can be distancing yourself. It can be punishing people with silence, whatever. All those are expressions of anger. And again, notice what James is saying in verse 19. He says we're to be slow to anger. We're to be slow to making these moral choices to situations we don't like and judging them and reacting to them. Because to God, when we respond in anger, it's filthy to him. Now, this is not a new truth to the Jewish Christians. Again, like in the Proverbs for being hasty in speech, there's Proverbs about this. Proverbs 29, 11, you see similar thoughts here. Notice what he says here. Again, these are God's words, not ours. A fool gives full vent to his spirit. Again, when you hear people say, I just can't help it, I have to say it. No, Scripture says a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Or Proverbs chapter 16, verse 32. Whoever is slow to anger... Is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. That means, friends, by God's grace, we don't have to give full vent to those emotions. We can, by God's grace, change how we process things. Now, let me give one clarification here. The Bible does speak of a righteous anger, a type of anger that's okay. You see Jesus expressing righteous anger. This is anger when we see wrongs being done when injustice happens, when God is not being glorified like he should. But righteous anger is tied to grief, not to outburst. Righteous anger is tied to sadness over injustice and sadness over God not being glorified. James is not talking about that here. Maybe you're going, why did he tell us that? Why did he qualify that here? Because James is writing in a proverbial style, like the Proverbs did. It's a general expression of life. So it doesn't say everyone should be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to sinful anger, which is different than the righteous anger. He's trying to give you a quick expression of life so he doesn't elaborate on that. But he's not speaking of righteous anger because the reality is, friends, very few of us deal much with righteous anger. We're usually not angry about the things that God gets angry about. We get angry about inconveniences to us. We get angry about our way not happening. We get angry about someone hurting us, and it's all very self-focused. That's what James is talking about here, that type of sinful, self-prone anger. And so he tells us in verse 19, Know this, my beloved brothers, to fellow Christians, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now that raises two questions for us, friends. Why is it so important for us to live like God says here? And then how do we do it? Why and how, if we're to be this way? Let's start with a why. Why are we to rid our lives of hasty speech? Why are we to, to rid our lives of anger expressions? Well, go to verse 20. He's going to tell us the why. For, here's the reason why we're to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For, the anger of man 
does not produce the righteousness of God. He's saying when we have anger, it does not produce, it does not achieve, it does not lead to something that we need in our life. The anger takes us the opposite direction of what we need in our life. And what it is that we need is the righteousness of God. Now, when you see righteousness in James, we need to realize he's meaning different than what we saw when we studied Ephesians. The words are the same, but when Paul was writing Ephesians and when Paul was talking about righteousness, whether it's in Romans or Ephesians, he's talking about the gift we receive from God, the change in our standing before God, that God sees us as righteous because of what Christ has done, and that is one very important part of righteousness. When James is using the word righteousness, he's not referring to that aspect of righteousness. He's speaking of the practical holiness that comes from knowing God. Not the practical holiness to get to God, because we can't, but the practical holiness that comes because God is changing us and transforming us. It's the same sense of righteousness that Jesus used in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, when Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Righteousness here being the practical holiness that God requires of his people. So the reason, friends, that we are not to be hasty in our speech, the reason that we're not to have anger outbursts in our lives is because it does not lead us to the holiness, to the practical righteousness that God desires for us. Friends, that means when we choose to speak hastily, when we choose to get angry, we are running the exact opposite direction from the way that God has called us to run. We're going the exact opposite way from sanctification, turning our backs on what God is trying to do in our lives. So, friends, when we get angry about potholes in the road, slow drivers, bad calls in the sports game, what someone did to us, what someone did not do to us, when we get, speak hastily without thought of what God's Word says, when we speak hastily without listening and caring about the other person, we speak hastily to boast, boost ourselves or tear down others, we speak hastily to get our ways, and all those things, we're running against what God is wanting to happen in our lives. We're turning away and running the opposite direction of what God wants to produce in us. And because God desires for us to practically live out who He already sees us to be, and realize that when we approach the Father, He doesn't see us as hasty in our speech. He doesn't see us as angry. He sees us covered with Christ's righteousness. He's given us that righteousness, that, that position. Now He says, now go practically by my grace, live it out. So He calls us back to verse 19. Let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. He's saying, be who I've already made you to be. Because of verse 18, because He's already brought us forth by the word of truth, He's saying, now go practically live out how I already see you. That's the why. The question then becomes the how. How do we do it? Friends, it's not what I call white-knuckle determination. Look ahead to James chapter 3, verse 8. We'll get to this in May. Seriously, we'll get one page over in May. But James chapter 3, verse 8. Scheduled for the middle of May by the time we hit this verse. But verse 8, look at this. This is sobering. No human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So how many people can do it? What's that first word? But how many? No. That means I can't, that means you can't, that means the saintliest person you know can't tame their own tongue. It is impossible for us to control our own tongue. That's why we all laughed at the beginning when I said, if you ever said words, you regret it, because yes, we have. We cannot tame our own tongues. So what is the hope? Go back to verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. And here's the hope, friends. Receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. Souls here means your whole life, that our whole life needs rescuing. In the Greek here, it's a continuous tense. That means we need to keep on being saved, that our whole lives need to keep on being rescued on this. This is just a picture of sanctification, of growth and godliness, that we so desperately need God to continue to sanctify and grow us and rescue us from our own sinful nature. And what can do that for us? He says here, receive with meekness the implanted word. 
Implanted means it's put there, friends. We don't naturally in our flesh start off with the word of God in our heart to change us and to transform us. God has to do the implanting of it. That's what we looked at in verse 18 last week, that he brought us forth by the word of truth. He implants the word of truth in us to change us. Our hearts naturally are going to be slow to listen and quick to speak and quick to anger. So God implants his word in us. And as his word is implanted in us and saves us and changes us, it makes us quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. I love how the prophet Jeremiah described in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33. Notice what happens with the word of God in us. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33, I think there we go. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law, where? Within them. This is the, the implanting it. And I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. That God plants his word in us, yes, to initially save us, what we call justification. That God implants his word in us, and that rescues us, that changes our position before him. But God continues to implant that word in our lives and give us that word and write it on our hearts to sanctify us, to grow us, to rescue us. So we go back to verse 21. We're told to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save our souls. Friends, do you realize that you and I need the gospel as much today as the day we first trusted Christ? I feel like so often the way we talk about the gospel in Christianity is we approach it like it's the ticket to get us into heaven and then we're done. But friends, we need the gospel as much, whether you've walked with Christ for 20 years or one day, we need the gospel as much every day now as we did when we first received it. We need our souls to continue to be saved by it and rescued from our sinful tendencies. And so God implants it in us But that doesn't mean we're to be passive. He calls us to do something with that. Look at verse 21 again. We are to receive with meekness. Receive here is a command. as an imperative. God's saying, I'm giving to you everything you need for life and godliness. I'm giving you all that you need. Your job now is to receive it. So friends, the question is, are we receiving it? God has given us his word and are we reading it? Are we thinking about it? Are we praying about it? Are we, particularly in our speech, are we filtering our speech through his word, going, what does God's word say about what I feel like I want to say right now? Are we longing for God's word to change us? But friends, this command to receive is not just a singular command. This is a plural command. That means together, we are to receive together with meekness the implanted word. Are we together reading the word of God? Are we together helping one another receive the word of God and letting it transform us? But it's not just a command to receive it. We're told how to receive it. We're told to receive it with meekness. That means with humility. That means we're to receive it with the spirit of it teaching us. Friends, we go to the word of God not going, what do I like and not like? We go to the word of God saying, this is true, change me. And we approach the word of God with meekness, allowing it to transform us, to convict us, and to guide us, and to direct our path. So friends, what is the only hope of us taming our tongue? It's not in trying harder, but it's the Holy Spirit within us taking the living word of God and applying it to us and convicting us when we err and showing us and challenging us and growing us to transform our speech through his power of his word at work in our lives as the Holy Spirit applies it to us. Friends, God calls us to rid our lives of anger and hasty speech, not through self-effort, but through the power of the gospel. So I'll ask you four questions this morning before we're done. Number one, have you believed in the gospel? Have you believed in Christ coming to rescue you from your sins? Friends, if we've not believed in Christ, any attempt to tame our own tongue becomes moralism. It's just self-help. 
And bookstores are full of self-help books on that. Friends, that's not what we need. We need the gospel, not self-help. So if we've not started there, that's the starting point. If we want to know God and live for him, we must begin by knowing him and believing this beautiful gospel message. Verse 18, that he brought us forth by the word of truth. Second question, if you are believing the gospel, friends, how is it changing you? If you are believing the gospel, how is it changing you? Because the gospel is not just for entry into the kingdom of God. The gospel is for every day. Jesus said in Matthew 12, you'll know a tree by its fruit. Are you seeing fruit? Are you seeing change in your life? Because the gospel is alive and working inside of you because you've received this implanted word, the word of truth. Number three, friends, how's the gospel changing our speech? How is the gospel changing our speech? Are we seeing sanctification? If we are in Christ, this is his will for us. Is the gospel making us quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger? Are we seeing the gospel change our speaking to where instead of tearing down, we're building up? Instead of boasting about ourselves, we're caring about others. Instead of trying to talk all the time, we're trying to listen. Is the gospel transforming our speech patterns? And where we see progress, we rejoice and give God the glory because it's his work. In areas where you and I see that we need further growth, we cry out to God. Because, friends, he delights in running to his people. When they say, God, I can't change myself, help me. God, I'm prone to anger, help me. God, I'm hasty in my speech, help me. God, I talk about myself a lot, help me. When we cry out to God, he helps us and he delights in helping us. But one last question, friends. If, our, if we discover that our speech has torn down others, what are we to do about it? It's not up on the screen this morning, but I've been reflecting on this last night and this morning. I want to share one more scripture passage with you besides what we'd originally planned to show you. But if our speech has torn down others, what are we to do? This is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. It's a whole sermon in this one right here for another day. He says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and they remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So friends, if we realize, as the Holy Spirit shows, that our speech has torn down someone else, what are we to do about it this week? And God says we are to run to them and seek to be reconciled. So friends, have you believed the gospel? Is the gospel changing you? Is the gospel transforming your speech? And are there any steps God is calling you to take this week to either repent of sinful speech, to cry out to him for help, or even to seek reconciliation with someone else? As he shows us that, I pray he'll give us grace to do that. Would you pray with me? Father God, we're so grateful for your word. We're grateful for your word when it encourages us, and we're grateful for your word when it steps on our toes. Because God, you love us so much that you don't want to leave us where we are. God, we're so thankful that the gospel message is not a just get out of hell free and now go live like you want. But it's a message to let you be Lord of our lives, to be our master, our boss, to be the king over our lives. And Lord, as your people, we confess that one area where we all struggle so much is you being king over our speech, you being Lord over our speech. Where I can think even over the last few weeks in my own life, I know my brothers and sisters can as well, of where we've been hasty with our words, where we've been angry with our words, to where we've hurt other people, even people we love dearly with our words. And God, we just confess that to you, that Lord, this is so humbling and such a reminder of our desperate need for grace our desperate need for the implanted word to take root in our hearts and to transform and to change us and to mold us and to shape us into Christ's likeness so that our lives can produce that righteousness of God. 
that you call us to have that fruit that should come from us knowing you. So Lord, in a sense of desperation, Lord, we say, Lord, we can't fix ourselves. Come, change us. Holy Spirit, would you fill me? Would you fill each of these precious brothers and sisters today and each day this week? You convict us where we err in our speech, that you would encourage us when we're speaking, as you would have us speak, that you would guide our speech, that we would have lips that are controlled by you, Lord. And you'd be transforming us from having speech that builds up self and tears down others to speech that is humble and meek and that desires to build up others and to glorify you. Or would you give us grace this week to only say things, Lord, that exalt you, that edify brothers and sisters and that share the hope of Christ with others? Would you guard our tongues this week, Lord, that you might be glorified and that your people might find joy living in harmony and community together as we speak the truth in love to one another. We ask it in Jesus' name. And then would you stand as we sing our closing song?